hope you found your way to Amos. If not, table of contents is your best friend. So, Amos chapter 8, and I was uh, preparing this message, and I was thinking about this time uh, when Anna and I, we were in Hawaii, and uh, we were eating at this pizza joint there, and we were talking with our waitress, and she was really friendly, and we were telling her that probably the thing that we have just been amazed by the most was the crystal clear water. You know, I always thought they did it up for Hollywood and for movies, but turns out the water actually is turquoise and like crystal clear. You walk in and you can see everything underneath you. We're like, our minds are just blown. And she's surprised by that. She didn't think it was anything special. And I was like, how could you not think? It's... And she's like, I don't know. Just, I've lived here my whole life. Nothing special. I said, okay, let me put it in context for you. Where we live, the closest beach to us is a beach called Myrtle Beach. And its nickname is Dirty Myrtle. <laughs> For a whole lot of reasons, but one reason in particular is because you go to the ocean and it's brown. The water is brown and nasty and dirty and you go in there and you don't know what's underneath. Could be a shark, could be a jellyfish, you're about to find out, but you don't know. And uh, that's your reality. And she, she was shocked then because she could not imagine. She's like, that's terrifying. She's like, I don't think I would get in water like that. And I was like, amen, sister, that's why I don't. You can't trust that water. But it just amazed me because she was so familiar and accustomed to her crystal clear water that she took it for granted. She didn't appreciate it anymore. It's like the old saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. And I want to tell you this morning, I think we have the same problem in the church today. I think we have the same problem because we are the most spoiled generation of Christians who have ever lived. We have more access to God's Word today than literally the entire history of Christianity that has gone before us. You go online today, and you can find Bible translations for free right there at your fingertips. You have a smartphone, pretty much everyone has one on them this morning. You have a computer, you can go online, you can have access to the Bible. We have countless uh, Bible websites. We have Bible software. Most Christian households have at least one Bible. Most of us have more than one Bible at our house. And yet, what do we do? We neglect the Word. We don't take it seriously. We don't prioritize it at all. Meanwhile, our brothers and sisters in Kenya right now are starving for the Word of God. Wishing more than anything that they could have a Bible that they could pick up in their own language and read it, and they don't have that. Meanwhile, our Bibles are sitting on tables in our houses, on bookshelves in our houses, and collecting dust. As Charles Spurgeon once said, there is dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. We have taken our access to God's Word for granted, and familiarity has bred contempt. And that was actually the situation of the people of Israel during the time of Amos. I like Amos, okay? Amos, uh, we're probably going to do a sermon series on him at some point. Uh, Amos was a good old boy, right? He was just a country preacher, and I mean he was a good old boy. He would have probably been preaching in Carhartt today if he was alive. So (laughs) He was from a small country town called Tekoa, and I don't mean Georgia, okay? There was another one, just his country. And God called him to go to the northern kingdom of Israel and preach, And it was during a time of peace and prosperity in Israel. And at this point in Israel's history, there had been a number of generations that had the the privilege of having access to the written, inspired Word of God. They could pick it up at any time and they could read it. But that privilege had become commonplace and the Israelites were no longer valuing the Word of God. 
And so God says here in this passage that He was going to send a famine. Not a hunger for bread or a thirst for water, but a famine of His Word. And Israel failed to heed that message. They did not begin to prioritize the Word of God or love the Word of God, and so God did send a famine on them. And I want to tell you this morning, we are experiencing that same famine today. But our situation is worse. Because ours is self-inflicted. They would go about from town to town, north to south, east to west. They'd go to the seashore looking to find the Word of God, and they would not find it. Meanwhile, we have unlimited access to God's Word, and we neglect it entirely. This is a self-inflicted famine. And the same thing that God wanted Israel to know then is the same thing that He wants us to know this morning. That we must prioritize and treasure the Word of God while we have the chance. We must prioritize and treasure the Word of God while we have the chance. And I do think that most people in here this morning would agree with that statement. Amen? But maybe just casually, right? We agree with it because we know that it sounds right. But when you look at your own life, I don't think we're getting the sense of urgency and necessity that comes along with prioritizing and treasuring the Word of God. And you might be saying, well, what if I don't do it, Pastor? What's the big deal? Good question. That's what I want us to consider this morning. What's the harm in neglecting the Word? What is the harm in neglecting the Word. In other words, why is it a big deal? Why is it so serious? What can we expect as a church and as a people if we do neglect the Word? Why do we have to prioritize it and treasure it? And the first thing that God tells us in this passage is that our very lives depend on it. Did you notice what He said in verses 11-12? through 12? He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, Not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Now did you notice here in this passage that the word of the Lord is likened to food and water? Things that are essential for life, right? You have to have these things in order to live. And the Bible says here, that's how important the Word of God is for Christians. Your very survival, your life, is dependent upon the Word of God. And what I find interesting today is that we don't really view the Bible that way, do we? It's something that we might hear at church occasionally. It's something that we might read occasionally. But it's not something that we absolutely think is essential for our very life, our souls, our eternities. Even though the Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.3, And He humbled you, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But listen, church, man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now God would go on later in the book of Deuteronomy to tell the people of Israel this, For it is no empty word for you, but your very life, and by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. 
Now, how much do we need to hear that message again today? That this Word of God, it is no empty word for you, but by, it is your very life, and by this Word, you shall live. This is what the Word of God should mean for the individual Christian, for the church. But you don't see it anymore. You don't see this priority. You don't see this treasuring. I mean, I think there are a lot of people in here this morning who would say, well, Pastor, I don't want to cause trouble, but I don't, just, I don't agree with you. Because I don't think we are experiencing a famine today. Because you look around, and you see a whole lot of churches, right? I mean, you, we're living in an area, you can just pick up a rock, close your eyes, spin around, and you're going to hit a church somewhere. A lot of people drove past three or four churches just to get to this one this morning. There's a whole lot of churches. So, Pastor, how can we possibly be in a famine right now? And I want you to understand something, so listen to me on this. I hope you understand that just because we have an abundance of churches does not mean we have an abundance of the Word. You know that, right? Just because there's a whole lot of churches around here does not mean that there's a whole lot of the Word. I remember before I became the pastor here, Anna and I, we were looking for a church to attend. A good Bible preaching church. We wanted somewhere that was going to be committed to prioritizing the Word of God. To treasuring the Word of God. We wanted expository preaching. Tell us what God says. And we were disheartened. We were incredibly discouraged when we looked around and we saw that our options for attending a church were nearly endless. But our options for attending a church that actually prioritize and preach the Word of God were severely limited. I mean, we found a bunch of places where the pastor was content to tell jokes the entire time. We found places where music was clearly the priority of the church. We found places where mass appeal was clearly the priority of the church. We even visited one church. I've told you about it before. We visited one church. There were no Bibles in the church. A church without Bibles. We looked around and there were no Bibles anywhere. And the pastor stood up. He wasn't the pastor. He was just a preacher for the day. And he stood up and he preached this sermon. It wasn't a sermon. He wasn't preaching. Don't know why I said that. He was telling jokes the whole time. He was just saying a bunch of things to make people laugh the entire time. He was uh, talking vulgarity in the pulpit. And then at the very end, he read one passage just so he could be able to say that he preached the word that day. That's what our country is like right now. We have a bunch of places where people are standing up and they are not preaching the Word on Sundays. They're not preaching the Bible. We have too many men who are standing in pulpits today whose main goal every Sunday is to entertain goats rather than feed the sheep. We have too many men standing in pulpits every single Sunday who long ago realized that they are a great communicator and they've got a great personality and they mistook that for a call to preach the gospel. We have too many men every Sunday who are content to give up, uh, to, to get in the pulpit and give a motivational speech to make people feel good rather than declaring the Word of God even if it does offend people, even if it does convict people because that's how the gospel works. It convicts before it converts. We have too many men every single week who are getting in pulpits and they are playing around with people's eternities. They are failing to preach the Word. The great Puritan preacher Richard Baxter, he said that when he stood up to preach, he preached 
as never sure to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. Oh, that's good, isn't it? He didn't know if it was going to be the last time he ever preached, and so he preached every single sermon as though it was the last time he was going to preach, as though their eternities depended on it, because it did. Where are the Baxters today? Where are the Whitfields? Where are the Spurgeons? Where have the great expositors of God gone? Well, you'd be hard-pressed to find them today, right? Very hard-pressed indeed. And is it not because the majority of people today, they don't want to hear the Bible, do they? I mean, let's call a spade a spade. People today, the majority of people who will come to a church on a Sunday morning, they don't want the Bible. In fact, I was talking with a pastor a couple weeks ago, and he said, the quickest way to clear out your church and make sure that it never grows is to preach the Bible every week. How sad is that? That's the sad reality of the world we live in. People today, they come to church, they don't want to hear what God says. They don't want to be convicted of sin. They don't want to hear Jesus Christ and Him crucified again. They want to come to church, get a short little sermon, something that makes them feel good, and they want to leave here and keep living their lives exactly how they were living it throughout the week. You see what I mean, church? We are experiencing a famine of the Word of God today, but it is, no, uh, it is no famine sent by God. It is a self-inflicted famine upon ourselves. We have done it to ourselves. We have only ourselves to blame. And you say, well, pastor, why must we prioritize it? Why must we treasure the Word of God? I'll tell you why. Because when we neglect the Word, we reject life and we invite death. When we neglect the Word, we Reject life and invite death. It's because it's the Word of God, folks, that tells us about the reality of our sin and our need for a Savior. It's the Word of God that tells us who God is. Everybody today has an opinion about who God is. Your opinion about who He is doesn't matter. What matters is what God says about Himself in His Word. It's the Word of God that tells us about God's redemptive plan for us in Christ. It's the Word of God that tells us how we can be saved from our sins through repentance and faith in Christ. It's the Word of God that tells us how to live out our faith. It's the Word of God that tells us what the purpose of the church is. It's the Word of God that reveals to us that the reason this whole world is filled with evil and chaos is because of the sin of humanity. It's the Word of God that directs us and guides us and informs our decisions. Folks, our souls, our lives, our eternities are absolutely dependent upon this Word. And by this Word you shall live. And so we have to consume this Word. We have to prioritize this Word. I want you to understand something here. A church is not living and healthy because it's packed every Sunday. Do we know that at this point? There are a lot of packed places this morning that are dead. And you might say, well, pastor, churches that are packed, of course they're living in healthy. Really? Because I know a couple false teachers who have a packed house right now, and I hope we're not prepared to say that that's a living in healthy church. Are we? I I think it's time that we come to understand that numbers are a terrible metric for the health of a church. I think it's time we come to understand the difference between a crowd and a congregation. Can we admit that at this point? A lot of people can draw a crowd. 
Very few people have a congregation these days. Faithfulness to the word of God is how we judge, how we measure the spiritual health of individual Christians and churches today. That's it, plain and simple. So you have to consume this word, church. Our lives depend on it. It's not just that. It's not just that our lives depend on it, but what God wants us to understand here is that neglecting the word has very long-lasting effects. Notice what he says there in verse 13. He says, In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Now, it could be easy to miss what's being communicated here. In the Hebrew, that word virgins, it can refer to virgins, but most of the time it just refers to young women. And when you combine that with the reference here to young men, the message is uh, what God is saying to Amos here is that the young women and the young men, they're going to faint for thirst. You see what he's saying? They're going to faint for thirst. They're going to be looking for this word. They're going to want this word. They're going to need this word in order to live. They're not going to be able to find it. In other words, what he's saying here is that the younger generations will suffer the consequences of our sinful choices. Let that one sink in. The younger generations will suffer the consequences of our sinful choices. If we're neglecting the word and we're imposing a famine upon the church, what are we subjecting the younger generations to? A famine. Let me just warn you now, church, with the way the church has been going for the past 50 years in America, there might not be a church in America in the next 50 years. We have set the younger generations up for failure because we have not taught them to love and treasure and prioritize the Word of God. We have not taught them obedience to the Word of God. We have not taught them how to serve in the church in faithfulness to the Word of God. People today, now the church is just imitating the culture. We live in a consumerist culture. Is that not what churches have become? Filled with consumers. People come to churches today and they say, okay, let's see if it's my type of preaching. It's probably not going to be. Sorry about that one, but it's not. Let's see if they have my kind of music here. Let's see if the pastor dresses the way that I want him to. Let's see if the congregation dresses the way that I want them to. Let's see if they've got red carpet rather than blue. Big miss on that one. I want to make sure the service lasts this long. I want a a service that has this many songs during it. I want to make sure the pastor preaches out of this translation because if not, I'm not going. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. My preferences, my desires. We're just a bunch of consumers now. It's hard to say amen because you know I'm right. We've done this to ourselves. Because we've allowed the culture to affect the church rather than the church transforming the culture. Because God says that we're supposed to come and gather as his people. And every person in here is a key, essential part of our body. Amen? Which means everybody has a part to serve in this body. But if your leg's not working, you're going to be walking correctly? No. If your hand decided it doesn't want to be a hand anymore, if it doesn't want to serve as a hand... You're not going to be able to write a lot of stuff, are you? Every uh, part of the body is essential. And this is what we've missed in the church today. Because people don't want to serve. And I was actually having this conversation with someone a few weeks ago. And I said, you know, one day, Tommy Burdine is going to die. There was more to the conversation. 
I said, one day, Gene McKinney is going to die. Who's going to take over properties then and be as committed as those two men have been to our church? One day, Miss Miranda is going to die. Who's going to be as committed to our children as she has been for her whole life? One day, let it be far in the future, may it never come, but Bobby Phillips is going to die. Who's going to step up and serve as faithfully as a deacon as that man has done for our church? We appreciate the older generations, do we not? We appreciate their service to the church. We appreciate what they have done for our church. But I want you to hear me say this and listen carefully. A church that is entirely dependent upon the older generations will die with the older generations. Do we understand that? Any church that's entirely dependent upon the older generations will die with the older generations. If we don't teach the younger generations the necessity of prioritizing the Word, treasuring the Word, and obeying the Word, especially in the life of the church, there's not going to be any churches left for them to serve in. This is one of the key aspects of discipleship, folks. It's one generation coming alongside another generation teaching them how to serve Jesus. How to follow Jesus. It's repeated all throughout the Bible. Psalm 78 says this. I'll open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known. Listen, that our fathers told us we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Do you see discipleship there? We learned it from our fathers. And we're teaching it to their children, and they're going to teach it to the next generation. This is generational discipleship, and it is essential for the church. That's how churches survive. Because who's going to teach new believers to love and serve Jesus, if not us? Who's going to teach the the younger generations how to serve in the church, if not us? Who is going to teach the, the spiritually immature the importance of commitment, if not us? This is the responsibility of every single follower of Christ. So you might say, okay, pastor, I see what you're saying, but why is it so important? Why must we prioritize? Why must we treasure the Word? Well, when we neglect the Word, we doom the future of the church. That's the sad reality. When we neglect the Word, we doom the future of the church. My question to you this morning is, are you taking discipleship seriously, church? Are you taking discipleship seriously? Let me put it like this. Every single person in this church should have a Joseph. Not mine. You can't have him. He's mine. Find your own. Okay? But everyone should have a Joseph. Everyone should have someone that they have brought alongside them and they are pouring into. That's what I'm doing with Joseph. I'm teaching him all that I know about following Jesus, serving as a pastor, how to love people, how to be effective in the community. Anything I know, limited wisdom that it is, I'm teaching him so that he knows, and one day he'll teach someone else. He's already doing that with a lot of people at North Greenville. Every single person in here needs to have someone that they go to and invest in. Go to someone of the younger generation, invest in that person. We need to take them under your wing. Teach them how to follow Jesus. We need to teach them how to serve in the church. Teach them how to live out the faith. Teach them how to evangelize. Teach them how to disciple other people so that multiplication happens. 
Because here's what I know, church. Everybody in this room is going to die one day, right? We're all going to die. No one is going to live here on this earth, in this life now, forever. It's not going to happen. But here's what we can do. By God's grace, we can build a ministry that outlives us. And that's the goal, is it not? Our goal is not to die and have people remember Pastor Alex or Pastor Jordan or Michael Stevenson or Bobby Phillips or anyone else. Let our names die, but if the ministry continues on after us, well, that's God-given fruit right there, folks. That's what we're about here. We don't want our names to be remembered. We want the church to keep going, though. We want the ministry to keep going. You see, if I were to die today, I know our church would be in good hands with Pastor Jordan and Joseph. I have every confidence in that. But my question to you is, If you were to die today, who's going to continue your ministry after you? Is your ministry going to die with you? Now, you may hear me say that and you go, well, pastor, I don't have a ministry. Okay, time to get one. (laughs) It's time to get plugged in somewhere. It's time to start your own ministry. I love when people do that. I have people come to me all the time. They're like, hey, I want to start this ministry at the church. Can you do it? I'm like, no, but you can. That's fine with me. I'll invest in you. I'll help as much as I can. But if that's on your heart, you do it. Start a ministry. But as a follower of Christ, you should be actively engaged in Christ's mission. So here's what you do, folks. Find something that burdens your heart. Find something you're passionate about. Find something that aligns with your strengths. But just get involved somewhere. Do something. And commit yourself to obedience to the Word. You might say, well, I don't know who to disciple. I don't have a Joseph. Okay, just go to someone. Pick anyone. Close your eyes and do this. Whoever you land on, that's your person. (laughs) Just find someone. Go to someone who's not really that involved in the church and say, hey, would you like to join me for coffee this week? You want to go get a meal together. How about you and the family come over for dinner this week? Maybe you start some sort of Bible study together. Go to someone who's not that involved and say, hey, here's what I do at the church. I'd love for you to come and learn and help me and I can uh, just teach you what I do. That's how you begin to invest in other people. But the point is, you just got to get involved somewhere. Parents, for you, super easy, okay? It's your children. That's who you should be discipling, is your children. If you have grandchildren, that's your person too, okay? Children and grandchildren. Because here's what I want to tell you this morning. Your children are watching you. Your grandchildren are watching you. They're soaking up everything you say and do. And so listen to me. Your decisions, your actions, and your priorities are teaching them what they should do in their lives. And if parents aren't prioritizing the Word in their lives, or modeling what it looks like to follow Christ according to the Bible in their lives, then we shouldn't be surprised when little Johnny grows up and leaves the church. Well, how could he do that? Why why isn't my son in church anymore? He learned it from his parents. Why would we be surprised? If the parents aren't modeling Christ-like discipleship and obeying the Word and treasuring the Word, why on earth would we expect the children to? You see, a church that prioritizes the Word is a church that prioritizes building God's kingdom through making disciples. You ask why you have to do it, it's because the future of the church depends on it. And there's one other reason here I want you to see very quickly in verse 14. He says, Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. 
Now these are references to the religious commitments of Israel at the time. King Jeroboam I, he had started a new cult in Israel. And he started a bunch of new shrines. He set up a bunch of new shrines in Israel. So that the people of Israel would go to these places to worship rather than going to Jerusalem down in Judah. And so he was trying to teach the people to, hey, if you want to worship something, worship here. If you need guidance in your life, if you need direction in your lives, if you need answers in your life, go to these substitutes over here. Don't do what God says in His Word. And you see the reference there in in verse 14. It says that everybody who does this, they shall fall and never rise again. It's setting them up for failure, right? The people of Israel, they were, they were scrambling at this point. They were lost. They were directionless. And they said, we need guidance. We need direction. We, we need answers for our lives. But rather than going to God in His Word, they went to all these cheap substitutes. And God says, if you do that, you're going to fall and you're never going to rise again. These things cannot help you. But the Word of God can help you, can it? The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, it's God's word that directs us. It's God's word that guides us. It's God's word that answers our questions. It's God's word that helps us. And God is warning us here that when we neglect the word, we wind up lost. When we neglect the word, we wind up lost. This is why so many churches today are scrambling. This is why there are so many individual Christians today who say, I do feel lost. I've got so much going on in my life and I don't know what to do. I have no answers. I don't know what decisions to make. I don't know if I should act on this or if I should act on this. I need direction. I need guidance. I need answers. But we've learned to neglect the Word of God. And so we remain lost and scrambling in this life because we've given up the one thing that actually gives us that guidance and that direction and those answers. It actually reminded me of the story of Josiah that Pastor Jordan mentioned last week. Because the the people continued to neglect the Word for another hundred years or so, right? They lost the book of the law entirely. Again, imagine a church without Bibles. It's easy because we've been there, but... They lost it. And then Josiah was like, he found the book of the law, and he read it, and he goes, oh, this makes total sense. I understand why we're scrambling. I understand why everybody's lost and the world is just falling apart. It's because we're not doing what God says. We have strayed from the word of the Lord entirely. And so he calls the people to assembly. He reads the entire thing in their hearing, and then he makes them commit to hear the word of the Lord, receive the word of the Lord, and obey the word of the Lord. I mean, imagine what a better place the church would be today if we would stop running to cheap substitutes and actually start relying on the word of God. In other words, you should never reach for a self-help book before you reach for your Bible. I'm not saying don't read them. That's on you if you got the time. But before you reach for that self-help book, Reach for your Bible. You should never consult a podcast or a YouTube channel before you consult the Word of God. Put down the horoscopes. Ignore the zodiac signs. They're all a bunch of garbage, okay? I don't care if Mercury is in retrograde. It has nothing to do with why you're making sinful choices, all right? That's on you. You've got a sin problem. Go to the Word of God. It'll tell you how to work that out. 
Turn off Dr. Phil. Pick up a Bible. Because there is no substitute for the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. If you want answers, you'll find them in the Word of God. You want direction, you'll find it in the Word of God. You want guidance, you will find it in the Word of God. And let me just tell you something, church. The best way to fuel a love for the Word is to grow in your love for Jesus. Because when you look at our Savior and what He has done for us, it makes you want to know Him more. And you learn more about Him through the Word. When you behold the humility of Christ to leave the glories of heaven, to come and dwell amongst a bunch of sinners like us, when you behold the commitment of Christ to live an entire sinless life of perfect obedience for us, when you behold the love of Christ as He dies a gruesome death on a cross for our sins, when you behold the the triumph of Christ as He rises victorious out of the grave, having defeated sin, death, and Satan, your heart will fill with love for Christ. And as it fills with love for Christ, it fuels that desire to know Him more and get into His Word. So if you want to get in the Word more, grow in your love for Christ more. That's how you do it. You see, the reason our world is running around like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off, the reason that the church is such a mess today is because we have inflicted a famine upon ourselves. A famine of the Word of God. And God is warning us here that we must treasure this Word and prioritize this Word while we have the chance. Because as I said, this life right here, this is the only chance we have, isn't it? This life is all you have, and then you die, and then comes the judgment. So now is the only time you have to treasure this word and prioritize this word. And God says you have to do it because your lives depend on it, the future of the church depends on it, and the direction of your lives depend on it. So church, treasure His word. Prioritize His word. Consume His word for the sake of the gospel, the sake of the church, and for the sake of your very souls. Amen? Let's pray.